right, lads, let's get into it. I am Mal Foster. I'm also sweating my sundial off in here. Oh, it is getting sweltery and sweaty. Not to put too much of a vivid picture in your mind. But yes, I am Mal Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of Dimed Out. Besides absorbing all of the ridiculous heat from outside, I've just had a moderate-sized bowl of granola, which means I've got all my sugies going and I'm ready for this. Are you ready for this? God, I hope so, because it's going to be a great one this week. This episode is the second of two conversations with Andy. You heard the first one last week, or at least you should have done. If you haven't, then shame on you. Pause this right now. Do it. Pause it. Go back. Check out the first one with Andy, because it was fabulous. In all honesty, complete bias for my own product aside, if you haven't checked out the first episode, the first conversation with Andy, then please definitely do make a point of going back and listening to it, because it really was a great episode to record and a great conversation to have with her, talking about all sorts of genuinely personal and inspiring stuff, insightful things, talking about mindfulness, meditation, ways to make ourselves better, ways to work through all of the the just awful that we're experiencing right now, and there's a lot of it. Let's let's be honest. We are going through a big cyclone of awful right now, but the episode tackles ways in which we can kind of compress that, make it a bit more manageable, and things that we're doing to to sort of get through the tunnel, as it were. So, yeah, honestly, genuinely insightful and entertaining as well. We talked about TikTok and Andy just really opened the door to what TikTok is for me because I was kind of very ignorant and naive about the whole platform. And, yeah, she really kind of opened my eyes to just how diverse and multi-layered it seems to be as a platform. And since that conversation, I've done some independent digging. Not too much, but a little bit to kind of get beneath the surface uh, a little bit more. And yeah, there is a whole web of fascinating and curious things on TikTok. I think curious is probably the best word to use because, yeah... In all honesty, I feel like there is an episode, or at least a bonus episode of a shorter length that could be dedicated to exploring some of the sort of more niche and particular facets and channels and avenues of TikTok, because there are a lot, there's a lot of subcultures on that platform which are genuinely fascinating, but at the same time, as I say, curious. Things like cottagecore and goblincore. Cottagecore being like, an interest in the aesthetic of sort of rural countryside and old things and antique items and a sort of more throwback way of of living in a sort of quaint and gentle aesthetic. And that's a whole thing of its own, a whole realm and sphere of interest is aesthetic from, as I say, things like cottagecore and goblincore, which... Is apparently like a an appreciation for parts of nature which would be considered ugly, like tree stumps and mud and rocks. I think that's pretty much like the base definition of goblin core. Again, this is all new, and I feel like that there's definitely at least a small bonus episode that could be done to just investigating some of the subcultures on TikTok. The initial question I have with the whole aesthetic sphere of TikTok that I've seen so far, and again, admittedly, it's really not much. I am just kind of dipping a toe in what appears to be a vast ocean here. But my question is that, from the aesthetic standpoint, is that all it purely is? Is it just a love for the visual appeal, for the stylistic qualities of these sort of subcultures and lifestyles and time periods? Or are people genuinely interested in it say for instance people that really are into cottagecore are they into the bronte sisters and have they read all of all of those books have they sort of immersed themselves more into that culture do they actually sort of embody it in their day-to-day lives do they wear like the the fashion of the times it's again curious curious territory as is the whole I don't even know what to call it, thing of boyfriend point of view videos, which apparently are a thing. Uh, Just 
good-looking young men looking at the camera, pretending that whoever's watching the video is their girlfriend, uh, lip-syncing songs, uh, miming to movie dialogue, pretending that they're comforting them after some kind of trauma or tragedy or just like a bad afternoon. Yeah, that is a thing. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. On on one hand, it's kind of sweet, I guess, for lonely people that kind of need a sense of attention and affirmation, even if it's completely fabricated. But on the other hand, it's also really kind of cringy and creepy. So, yeah. I don't know what's going on there, to be honest. But again, it's very curious territory, which I feel is definitely uh, ripe for further exploring in a separate episode. Anyway, that is a separate episode. This is this episode. It is our second conversation with Andy, and we are going completely left field in comparison to what we were talking about in the first episode. This week, we are going to be talking to Andy about her love for true crime, why there is so much love for true crime in general, why it is a genre, a movement, a subculture of its own that has gained so much momentum and interest over the years, and some of her favourite cases, some of the cases that have intrigued her the most over the years, including the notorious cult Heaven's Gate, and the legendary madman, killer, influencer? Not in the modern sense, obviously. And home furnisher, that is Ed Gein. Plus, last week I teased a anecdote that involves Ed Gein and a guy going crazy and a reference to me basically being the character that Shelley Duvall played in The Shining. Yeah, you get that this week as well. So, yeah, if you weren't already tempted to stick around, that's gonna do it, right? Yeah, thought so. Anyway, let's not waste any more time. This is the second conversation I had with Andy talking all things true crime, paranormal. Oh, yeah, that's another thing as well. It's not just my anecdote, which is definitely worth saying for, but Andy has an incredible, spoopy anecdote of her own, which is just, oh, yeah, you will get those shivers down your spine for sure. Anyway, that's enough of my yakking, as if I were some sort of Kashikian moof milker who couldn't stop chattering. Let's get into it. This is me and Andy, part two. Enjoy. We're going to talk to you about the most urgent thing that is on our mind, and what we suspect is the most urgent thing on the mind of those who will connect with us. I want to talk to you about um, true crime. Because uh, I, I remember seeing one day a, a very public display that you were a true crime addict. And uh, I, I want to know, what is it about true crime that you do love so much? Just love with oh. all Oh, my gosh. Well, let me, let me rephrase it. And you can, you can answer in the personal perspective. But I also am curious, what is it about true crime that seems to just entice a lot of people because it's a huge thing you look at you look at how big of a booming industry that is there's, there's a need for it there's a want for it people seem to generally really like true crime and i have my own theories but i'm curious as as uh, in regards to you somebody that is is a fan of, of the genre i guess you could call it what is it that appeals to you what is it that draws you to true crime well me personally i really like the mysteries um I also really like hearing the stories of the people who commit the crimes because I think that the human mind is super fascinating in all of the different ways that it can exist. In general, for the, for the general population, you know, it's like when you drive past a car crash, you have to look. Yeah. It's that situation where you have a morbid curiosity. You want to see what's going on. That's just, I mean, like we used to have public hangings. Like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's just been a part of the human experience to want to see the ugliness. Right. That's that's actually a good point that I hadn't considered. But yeah, public hangings, uh, you know, as crude and as awful as it is to say, was somewhat of a spectator sport of the mm-hmm. time. We'll go down to the town square and watch it happen. That's Crazy. gross. Yeah. But we kind of do that now, in a way. Mm-hmm. We listen to true crime podcasts and read stories about all of the crazy things that happen. 
it's just fascinating all of the different ways the human mind can exist see that's my in that's my in for it and that's what i think has always drawn me to interesting cases is is the way that other people's minds work you know i i find it fascinating to even try and understand the way my mind works and i've got a reasonable grasp on it after 30 something years on the earth and then you find a case in which something horrific has happened and you're just like whoa what made that person do that thing you wanted to do right that's so crazy and it varies because you have cases and incidents in which that has not been an intentional goal it's it's happened and it could be because of circumstance a situation um a whole number of factors and then you have cases in which it very much is the desired goal and that's where the morbid curiosity kicks in because it's like what is going on in the interior clockwork of someone's mind that that just is fueled by i want this to happen that's what i want it's it's absolutely baffling but fascinating it's always great to find like-minded people and i think that's what we basically are trying to do as individuals as as human beings on earth is we're we're roaming around and we're trying to connect in one way whether it's platonically or romantically with like-minded people and and that's our base function outside of survival but i think there's a real strong aspect of of trying to find people that are way at the opposite end of the scale so when you see people do horrific things it's kind of like and this is going to sound like a really weird tangent but i'm going to go with it it's like are you familiar with who david blaine is so for those of you who aren't david blaine was it was a cracking street magician to begin with Right. We're talking like top notch. And he had like this weird, mysterious vibe about him. Like he just had, he had, he is like the definition of vibe, in my opinion. He's just like, it's like really ethereal and almost mercurial. You don't know if he's going to give you a hug or just like stab you in the chest. You have no idea where he's going with his, with his, just his general presentation. But he went from doing cracking street magic to doing like bizarre endurance tests, like freezing himself in ice standing on a pole for X amount of time, sitting in a Perspex cube um, for, for days on end, just putting his mind and his body through stuff. And for me, that's infinitely fascinating because I'm just like, who is that? And what drives them to want to do that? And for me, it's a similar thing with, with a lot of true crime. It's just like, who's that person? Why do they want to do that? And how did they get there? That's For me, that's the interesting thing. Is it a case that they were always like that and it's just mutated over time or has something happened that's just broken somebody and then like different factors have come in and it's like a recipe that's concurred over time that's that's my that's my into it that's what i find fascinating about it the david blaine hypothesis yes oh my gosh oh i forget about him (laughs) most people do I don't think he's done something outright bizarre for a long time. I think it's time we bring him back. This one from 2020 needs is David Blaine right now. It's going to be like the first live Netflix special of David Blaine. Oh, if that happens. that's really where he thrived was on live TV. Right, just the first constant Netflix stream. I'm pitching that now. What is the case that you have been most fascinated by? Is is there one to start with? There may not be, I don't know. There's two. Um, There's definitely, definitely Ed Gein. Oh, classic. Do you know anything about him? Oh, of course. Oh, my gosh. What even was that? I've read so much just super strange stuff. Um, And the Heaven's Gate cult, which I know we've talked about. Yeah. (laughs) I've been listening to a podcast about it for the last few weeks. It's even crazier than I ever thought. Wow. Yeah. So, right, let's start with Heaven's Gate. We'll work our way back to Ed, because I think a lot of people know about Ed, and he's, he's, he's like a, you know, a big, big hair in the, in the pantheon of true crime. So we'll, we'll come back to Ed in a moment, because I've got a great Ed Gein story. It's not great, it's actually really fucking terrifying. Um, but we'll get there. So Heaven's Gate, what is it about Heaven's Gate? Because that is such, a, it is such a weird, it's somewhat niche in a, in a way, um, and I will just say, anybody listening who doesn't know, please 
feel free to pause and and like do a little bit of research if you feel you need to. But other than actually, no, 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 stop. Wait a minute. We're going to get an expert. Andrea, what is Heaven's Gate? She will be your Wikipedia. So (laughs) um, Heaven's Gate is a cult that is still active. A lot of people don't know that. Um, They're still members, but it was a cult in the early 90s, I believe. Now I'm going to get my dates wrong. But they were a cult that believed that the two leaders were aliens and they were going to be they were going to be murdered in the streets and then be reincarnated and take their followers home to the next level. That was the next level with these guys. But there was really no like there was really no um actual information about what that would look like. But basically these two people, they called themselves T and Doe. They genuinely believed that they were the two people from Revelations in the Bible that were going to be killed as like martyrs um, and then brought back to life and then they were going to be the next people. So there was like a a reincarnation aspect to it. Yes. (laughs) My brain. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, okay. That firstly is one of the most fascinating things to me. Like where would you get to as a person that you fully believe that you are the second coming of Christ? Yeah, and an alien second coming of Christ. Right, it's you. You're mixing your, your genres. It's a bold move. <laughs> it's very very strange. But these two people met, and the the woman, I it was T. She believed that she could read and create star charts. So she was doing this for all of the people around her, and she did this for like many many years. But she was also a nurse in a hospital. Really weird marrying of ideologies here. But yeah. <laughs> she, really um, is. yeah. So she met her counterpart, Doe, in the hospital and they immediately clicked so much chemistry. And she did a star chart for him. And she told him that based on his star chart, their destinies were entwined. So they were meant to live out the rest of their days together. And he was like, yeah, totally awesome. There's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of arguments about why he was actually in the hospital. Some people say it was for mental health, other people say it was for um physical health. But I don't know, it kind of sounds like mental health to me, but I don't know, I'm not yeah. an expert. So they like go on this journey together. She leaves her kid and her husband and he leaves his wife and they go on this crazy wild journey together and end up forming a cult. So it's pretty pretty interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's it. It generally is kind of interesting. It has a very tragic end as well, though. For those that don't don't know, mm-hmm. yeah, they end up making this cult. It takes twenty, I think, twenty five years at the end of it. But there's a lot of accounts of people who were in the cult and left. So I think it was like thirty nine people who ended up dying. I could be totally wrong. I'm just estimating on my memory. But they committed a group suicide in Southern California because so ba- okay okay so basically what happens is T dies of cancer and she wasn't supposed to die that way so Doe the other counterpart starts questioning like were we really right are we actually these people that we believe we are and obviously their their church members start questioning it as well because that wasn't what was supposed to happen Um, also it's been 20, 25 years since the original claim. And they kept saying, well, it'll happen in five years. It'll happen in five years that they were going to die and be reincarnated. Um, but obviously none of that happened. So Doe basically comes up with this idea that he is told that they all have to basically jump onto this comet that is passing by. So they must kill themselves in order to be received into the next level which wasn't the original plan, but is now his idea of what they should do. So they, what is it? They mix barbiturates and they kill, they kill themselves in waves. So the first wave is 15 people. Um, they're all dressed in all black um, with their little Heaven's Gate patches and the Nike Millennium shoes, which have now been discontinued. <laughs> have they really? <laughs> they have. They stopped selling them after that. It's not surprising really, is it? I can't. Yeah, who's going to want to buy some cult shoes? <laughs> you say that, actually. There will definitely be somebody who, who has a pair, a proud Dude, pair. I want a pair. 
Right. I would love to have a pair. Yeah. Even if it wasn't my size, I would totally rock it. Just like a display piece. <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely. Like, like a coffee the, table um, ornament. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, what is this? My shoe. I know you should ask. <laughs> Can't wait to tell you about it. Sit down. I, get comfortable. You're in for a journey. There are so many details I'm missing because this story is so insane i originally learned about it at the museum of death in los angeles they have this full display with actual videos from doe like training videos from him and they have um, a replica of how they died like they were laying in beds completely flat out with purple shrouds over their heads it's just you have to see it it's insane um but yeah, like so many people died because they believed that they were going to jump to the next level of existence. And even the people who got out of the cult before they did this still believe that they may have missed something. They may have missed out by not joining in. Whoa. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I, I See, I knew that there was at least one person still in there because I know that there was at least for a period of time, one person still running their website. There is still, yeah. But I didn't know there were there were a few, and I didn't know that they were still sort of harboring, sort of lingering thoughts of that. I mean, imagine that. I mean, after that, after such a sort of tragic, horrible end, that you are still kind of in the mindset of, I, I missed my chance. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what a weird, weird, far-off distant sense of remorse that I, that very few people could really truly empathize with you know because you've got to imagine if you were if you were that deep into it even now and that's what you're thinking that's got to be a, like a heavy dose of sorrow like yeah like you feel you genuinely missed out on something like that's got to be a yeah. very weird taint to the rest of your life and it's something that you have no way of knowing what it would be like you can't communicate with those people Right, exactly. It's not like you've got a, an ability to have a message sent back to you to be like told that that's true. It's kind of like a perpetual state of of not knowing for the rest of time, and, unless you find a way out of that mindset. Man, that's yeah. Oof. And and then that brings into like conversation, like the whole idea of brainwashing, and is it real? Like to still have those feelings of remorse. What like. 20 years later mm -hmm. like were you brainwashed or did you actually believe those things i know a lot of people say that brainwashing isn't actually real but i guess you have to decide that for yourself yeah yeah i, I think that is something you have to decide for yourself I, it's it's weird because it's it's kind of like a double-edged sort of predicament because on one hand you know and i suppose this maybe is where your intrigue and it comes from because you do have such a, a belief structure and such a, a, a lifestyle and a way of being that is based in such an extreme view, an extreme belief full of extremities. Uh, but at the same time, for a lot of people, and a lot of people will, I've talked to about cults and stuff, are like, I just don't get it. Why would you do that? Why would you join? And I personally wouldn't. But there are a lot of people who do feel completely detached and alone and in need of something or someone to believe in to the point where they will suspend their own belief or, or sort of realm of logic to, to sort of adapt a narrative that they might not necessarily truly believe in, but they believe that the people in that sect are good people and that they are people that they can find something with. So it's, for me... I can't understand the mindset of believing, okay, we're all aliens and we need to kill ourselves to get on board the flying comet to take us home. I can't <laughs> understand that and I never will. But I can understand from having experienced extreme loneliness and self-isolation, the desire and need to sort of connect with people. You said earlier, no person is an island and that is really true. And for a lot of these people, they've lived a long time as an island and it's got too much, and they found somewhere, something, which makes them feel less alone. And as I say, whether or not they truly, deeply, genuinely believe it, it doesn't really matter to a lot of them, because it's they found, in a weird way, a sort of pseudo-makeshift family. Well, and I'm glad you said that, because actually one of the parents of one of the people who died, 
she played a home video from one of their Christmases that they celebrated in the cold. And it was really like a family. Like Mm -hmm. I imagine so many of the people who joined the cult felt maybe out of place in the world and didn't have a family. And they found that through this. So maybe in their eyes, it wasn't a cult. Yeah. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Whenever I've I've heard uh, people talk about, well, not whenever, at times, because it's not always, I don't constantly talk to people about cults. I wish. That will be a great (laughs) day-to-day existence. But in in times when I have talked to people about cults, I've heard people discussing them um, inevitably from time to time, you will get people really looking down on, on the members that join. And, and, and yeah, it differs from case to case and different cult to different individual joining said individual cult. But it all differs. You can't just tar them as, as being lunatics. You know, uh, like I say, I can't quite buy into the, to the sci-fi aspect of it, like the extremity of it. But I can understand the humanity and the human nature aspect of it. For me, it's, it's not so much the, the, the members that join, which are deserving of any sort of sense of scorn or criticism or scrutiny it's it's the leaders the people that unless they are that out of their mind that they do genuinely believe i'm an alien i'm going home now if that's the case and they are that far gone then yes that's just the frequency they're operating on but for me the scrutiny if there is any to be had with cults should be kind of pointed towards those that know it's a load of nonsense and are using that to brainwash people or manipulate people or kind of like mold very sort of vulnerable minds. Yeah, that was one of the beefs that um, a lot of people had with T was that she did have doubts and she did have moments where she was like, maybe I'm not this person that I think I am. She even was sending money from the cult to her daughter, um, which when you join it, you were not supposed to have contact with your family. Like the cult is your family now. Yeah. So she wasn't even following her own rules, which to me is the height of ugliness because you're stealing something from someone without giving them the full details, which is really not fair. So I wonder if, if there is anything after this, I wonder if some of those people got to the next thing and were like, wow, I made a decision completely based on falsities. For me, the interesting thing is is that it's not a straightforward thing. You know, you, you can look at it and be like, oh, that's absolutely mad. But, you know, you can also kind of dig deeper and see that there's a lot of different layers to it, a lot of complex mechanics at work there, you know, emotionally and psychologically. And I think that's what is interesting about situations and cases like Heaven's Gate is because it stems back, you know, to the David Blaine effect. Why would you? <laughs> And then inside those situations, there's a lot more unpacking to do because it's like, why would you, from a leadership standpoint, why would you, from a following standpoint, and you know, especially over a prolonged period like 20 plus years, it's a long time to be invested in anything. You know, is is there anything in particular that you you did? You, was it just a case that you saw this and was just like, this is infinitely fascinating? Tell me more. Presentation on it for school. That's where I learned a lot of words. Um, um, yeah. So um, it was kind of a, a novelty for me at the time. But since then, I've done a lot more research and read a lot more things. And it's just crazy because it's not similar to any other cult I've seen in my studies. It's so vastly different. In what way? And for the most, well, because a lot of times cults that we've seen are violent in some way, but this cult wasn't, it was about higher consciousness and it was, it was pretty much like a weird adaptation of like churches we see today. So it wasn't, they weren't harming anybody. They didn't hurt anyone when they, well, I mean, they didn't kill anyone other than themselves. They hurt their families, but they didn't hurt anybody by taking themselves out. Not like, the Branch Davidians or um, the the Manson cults. It's just it's just a different wavelength for them, which is really fascinating. That was really the main draw, other than the original novelty. Like whenever I first saw the Heaven's Gate website, which if you haven't seen it, you should look at it because it's funny. <laughs> funny. Um, I say it's funny, but you might not think it's funny. <laughs> but it's really cool. It's like looking at the first website I ever looked at in the nineties. Is it still of the time period? They haven't like updated it. Yes. Um, 100%. Hold on. Cause you can see me. I'm going to show you. 
I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna look this up now. Red alert, Halibut brings closure to Heaven's Gate. Uh, it literally is like a 90s website. Hail Bob. That was it. That was it. <laughs> Not to be confused with Umbop, 90s pop hit by Hanson. <laughs> that didn't bring closure to anyone. Still love those right. guys. No, it didn't. It's still an ongoing love affair. <laughs> oh my gosh. I never thought we would go there. That's funny. <laughs> It's um, yeah. I I I hope they never change it because I think it would ruin the 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 aesthetic appeal. Reminds you of simpler times. Yes, it's been my Twitter website link in my bio for like four years. Have you had people actually comment, like, click on that, thinking it was someone else, and then just like get back to you and be like, "What the hell is this?" Every once in a while, I'll get a DM from someone saying, "Oh my god, your website link in your bio is ridiculous." <laughs> and I'm like, no one ever notices. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> but do they think it's actually you're behind the website, like you're promoting it, or like you're the you're the, the showrunner for the website? I hope so, because that's hilarious. Like what what finds I find curious about it is is websites cost money to keep going, and I mean that's an actual .com domain which needs re-registered every couple of years, and, and for the most part, like and especially now. Now that Heaven's Gate has got more publicity over the years of the internet's uh, growth, I imagine that's a pretty hefty domain to to re-register every couple of years, price-wise. Yeah. I wonder when it was purchased, honestly. That'd be really fascinating. Maybe maybe that's something I can do with the show at some point, is get in touch with the Heaven's Gate website operator. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> to send him some questions to answer or even try, say, try and get them on the show. That would be interesting. Like, why are you still doing this? <laughs> Can you explain to me? And have you ever got Hale Bop confused with Umbop? <laughs> they just end the Zoom call. <laughs> right, that's it. It lasts all the two minutes because that's the first question I ask. It's like, no one ever takes me seriously. <laughs> all right, so moving from, from Heaven's Gate to Ed Gein. What is it about, Big Ed? Gotta be the mommy issues. Oh, okay. He, yes. A lot of people agree, and I agree, that he started all of the disgusting things he did because of his mother. Oh, okay. Why? So his mom, his mom was a Quaker, I believe. I could be wrong, but she was like a very heavily religious woman. And she taught him and his brother that basically women were evil, women were bad, they weren't to be trusted, they shouldn't like have sexual encounters with women. So it ended up being like this weird thing. In my research, this is what I found. It ended up being this weird thing where he romanticized his mother. So whenever he was doing all of his grave robbing, he was only stealing body parts from women that were similar to his mother and were around her same age. Wow. Right. So yeah, he very much idolized his mother. After she died, he boarded up the entire wing of the house that she used and left everything completely untouched the exact way she had left it when she died. So he very much like idolized his mother. I don't know what broke in his mind that made him do the things he did. But to me, that is the most fascinating thing. Um, that and he killed his brother. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. He murdered his brother. <laughs> wow. I can't remember what ages they were, but it, he was very young. So you think, would you say that is probably like a root cause? Because obviously like a, a mind that distorted to, to do the things that Ed Gein did in terms of like basically making home furnishings out of human remains, that, that is one that I don't think you'd ever be able to sort of truly create a full roadmap to. Um, or like a linear pathway to be like this, this, and this, and this led to that. But do you think like the, the issue, like the, the issues, because they are clearly issues by the sounds of it that he had with his mother, that's like a root cause for, for Ed Gein? I would say that was definitely one of the key factors in him becoming who he became. Was it just simply like idolatry and like weird admiration for his mother? Or was it some sort of Oedipus type complex that would ever get like... I said this, I made a presentation about this, too. <laughs> but when I said this in my class, people were um, very put off by it 
but I kind of had the feeling that it was more of a romantic attraction. Right. So it's kind of like an Oedipus complex of. Yes. That is my theory. I could be totally wrong. Uh, I'm not a professional, but that was what I thought. Well, the the reason I bring it up is because I've seen that in other cases. I mean, you look at something like, um, I forget his actual name, but the, the, the campus killer. I, for, yes. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head now, but I mean, that stemmed around like a weird, almost uh, like romantic orientated relationship with his mother because of, of what he did to his mother at the end, which is absolutely grim. And if, if you want to know more about it, then then now you can <laughs> use the internet and Wikipedia. It's fascinating, but just terrifying and just disgusting. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's what made me ask that because I have felt that's been the case for a number of cases and it kind of sounds like if he's going to that extreme and as you say the the, the places that he was like, digging up and exhuming remains from are of similar sort of representation of his mother that's that's weird that is like a really obviously it's weird it's like major understatement but that's like a deep rooted issue and that made me think that's maybe mm-hmm. the case so yeah crazy. i would have loved to have sat in on that presentation by the way <laughs> I had some technical difficulties during that presentation and I meant to warn people before I showed the girl that he had in his shed that was completely splayed open. I meant to warn people because I had a picture of it and I clicked spacebar and it went and everyone was like, <gasps> and I was like, I am so sorry about that. Um, that is a dead body. <laughs> so if you want to look that yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. A, a little bit of warning might have, might have probably helped a few people. Yeah, I did a very bad job, but that's okay. I think they all survived. <laughs> he did some really disgusting things. I actually wonder where those artifacts are now, because I know that they kept probably a few of the items that he created. Do you, do you think, or do you, because uh, I always just presume they would have just destroyed them. Some of the items they would have had to keep for terms of, of investigation. For I, I mean, as, yeah. as primitive as forensics probably was back then, for some kind of forensic investigation as in terms of identification or trying to, um, and in terms of building up a case. But yeah, I always just presumed that after that was done. Like, what actually, how, how did that story end with him? Was he ever actually imprisoned? Because I know of his crimes, but I don't necessarily remember any sense of punishment from it. He was imprisoned, but I can't remember what exactly happened to him. I know that they went to trial. I remember the means of how they came to find out about him, okay. um, but I don't know what happened after yeah, that. Yeah, how, how was that? How was it discovered? He only actually killed a few living people. I think there were two women in his later life. There was the cashier at a, like a little country store in the town where he lived. And she went missing from, or was she the store owner? Either the store owner or the cashier, but she went missing one day from work and they found like trails of blood all throughout the front of the store leading out into the street. And he was found to be the last person that was in there before she was determined to be missing. So they had already been suspicious about his behavior because he'd always been really weird, even from being a child. Yeah. So they went to go question him and they ended up stumbling upon the shed with her body in it and then found all of the other disgusting things. Mm. So I know that's what happened and that he was arrested, but I don't know what else happened. I'm just reading it here now. At the request of the defense, Gaines' trial was held without jury. He was found not guilty on November 14th. The second trial dealt with Gaines' sanity. After testimony by doctors for the prosecution and defense, he was ruled not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. And he spent the rest of his life in a mental institute. Uh, and he died in uh, 1984, age of 77. Wow. So yeah, he never went to, to prison as such, but he was sent to a mental institution and, and remained there. Till Lived a very long life. Yeah, and died in the mid 80s. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. It's weird that you bring up the the mother aspect of Ed Gein because my story kind of revolves around someone else's mum, weirdly enough. (laughs) Which is an interesting tease for anyone to be like, oh, hold on, I was going elsewhere, but now I've got to stay for this. This was years ago when I was at university. We used to have um, 
there was about five or six of us lived in a house and there was about four people who lived next door. The landlord owned both houses. And one of the, I think you guys call them superintendents over here, but he was basically like, like a handyman and a janitor, basically oversaw the, the house. So basically odd jobs that needed doing, things that needed fixed. He lived next door. He was a guy called Phil. And he was a bit of a strange fella. He would, because he had keys, would sometimes just let himself into our house. And sometimes you'd see him just sat there having like a cup of tea. And you'd be like, oh, all right, Phil, what's happening? And he'd say, oh, I just came to check on the boiler or whatever. You know, like because he had keys, you just think, uh, okay, he's come in to do a job and what have you. So he was already a bit strange and everyone was a little bit wary about him and everyone made sure to lock the doors. And uh, one night, uh, we were having a party at our house and we invited everyone next door. And so Phil by proxy got invited and came around, started drinking a little too much and then began to relay. And now I should state Phil was like in his 40s, early 40s. And we were all like 19, 20, 21, around that age. So he's like twice our age and just coming around being a bit creepy, being a bit weird. And he comes around for this party with everybody else that he lives with, uh, starts drinking too much, and then starts talking to these girls in our living room about his mum and how she was a prostitute and how she would bring John's home and he would have to go in the other room. Um, and this was a repeated cycle. And it's just like, all right, all right Phil, that's, you know, it, it's like no one wants to really hear that, especially like in a really sort of leery it was getting really close and uncomfortable. And then he starts talking about Ed Gein and he's asking them, do you know who Ed Gein is? And they're like, no, no idea. And so he starts telling them all about like the exploits of Ed Gein and, and about the furniture and stuff. And then he would go back to talking about his own mum and then just like saying how on occasions he'd wanted to kill her at times. And it's like just getting really, really weird. And then we got to the point where we asked him to leave because he was beginning to freak people out. And he just flipped. He literally flipped the coffee table over, like a glass coffee table, and started smashing stuff. And uh, we just sort of scattered off into different rooms in the house. And I, I locked myself in the bathroom. We called the police. And then he started, like, trying to, to kick locked doors down. And it was like, if you've ever seen The Shining, I've always said I was like Shelley Duvall in the, in the bathroom. He started, like, trying to smash the door open. And then the police came, took him away. And... We never saw him again. He was evicted and, and lost his job. But that's a guy that obviously has very deep-rooted problems. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that is bonkers. Absolutely insane. Um, just terrifying because <laughs> it was like a slow burn. It just started off just being like a slightly strange conversation and then inappropriate and then creepy and then just absolutely crazy. And then, as I said, just like imploded with violence. Thinking, I wonder, like, what goes through your head when you do that? I don't. It's so fascinating. I don't know. And no one heard from him again. Um, you know, we had a visit from our landlord the next day to just basically say, look, don't worry. I'm going to, I'm not expecting you guys to pay for the damages. We're going to try and sort something out with Phil, but I have called the police and he's going through a formal process now. Um, I don't know if, if he actually got convicted of anything um, or what happened, but I do know that he wasn't living there anymore and, and that we never saw him again, but just genuinely terrifying. I hope he got the help he needed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. I hope he did too, because as I say, there's obviously something clearly not quite right. Anyway, that's, that's my Ed Gein story, kind oh. of. <laughs> So outside of true crime, just in general, uh, do you find a fascination for like paranormal stuff? Because at the minute I'm, I'm doing some research for a freelance job about Skinwalker Ranch, and that is infinitely fascinating. I don't know anything about that, but I do think that paranormal stuff is very fascinating. Okay, so you should check out Skinwalker Ranch. Everyone should, because it generally, I didn't know anything about it. I heard the name in passing but didn't know anything about it. It's basically like a stretch of, of homestead land, or it was at the time in Utah, in like this really notorious spot of Utah, um, something basin, U Utin Utinian basin or something like that, I think it's called. Um, 
but it kind of came to sort of um, sort of infamy in the mid nineties when a family bought it as a, as a homestead, as a, a sort of ranch to farm, grow stuff, and and live off. Um, and they just within like fifteen months saw like an absolute plethora of like UFO sightings, giant wolf like creatures, um, all sorts of strange stuff. Um, and since then, they they sold it to a billionaire who set up his own paranormal research team on the land. And it's then since been sold to like a, a shell corporation, which has now boarded all the access roads off and and like blocked anyone going in. But there's been like so many reports over the years of just like red eyed humanoids hanging on trees, watching people, shapeshifters, sort of portals emerging amongst the middle of dirt roads. All kinds of crazy stuff. Portal. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 genuinely fascinating. So if anyone is interested in that sort of thing and you've you've never um heard of it, just dive in because there's so much going on there. That it's 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 I'm insane. Gonna look that up. Yeah. So I know I was just I was wondering right. with me looking into that sort of stuff if you've um if you've had an interest in paranormal stuff in the past, and if you've had any paranormal experiences. Oh, I have. I've oh. had one that really sticks out in my mind. Oh, do tell. It's kind of scary. Even <laughs> well, better. At least it was scary to me at the time. So um, this is a little personal, but I don't mind talking about it. Um, okay. It's been about three years ago. I lost my husband in an accident. Um, this is so freaking weird. So that whole week was just a super, super strange experience. But the first night that I slept alone, I was laying in bed and I remember having this thought, which will be relatable to anyone who's lost a spouse of like, I hope that he haunts me. Like, I remember saying that, like, please haunt me. That would be awesome. Uh, Hasn't happened yet, but that'd be really cool. Um, (laughs) But I was laying in bed and I fell asleep and I remember it was like exactly three o'clock in the morning. I woke up in a cold sweat and I couldn't breathe. And I felt this dark figure coming from the corner of my room. My whole entire room was pitch black and I have nightlights completely pitch black. And I felt like something was pushing down on my chest. And then I closed my eyes, opened them and it was gone. Oh, and it has never happened again. You could feel the actual physical pressure. I felt the pressure. Like, I literally couldn't breathe. Wow. Like, how did you feel in that? Was it, I, that's a stupid question. How did you feel in that moment? Obviously, you were terrified. I, was, I wasn't scared, surprisingly. I was more confused. Right. I was like, what is going on? Like, this couldn't be him. He wouldn't do this. This is super weird. That's what I was going to ask. And then I opened my eyes and it was over. That's what I was going to ask. Because I think where I was going with that was, was it a mix of just being terrified or was it kind of like a weird sense of relief? Because, you know, when you say, <laughs> I want you to haunt me, is that, is, is that, and I'm just projecting here, is that from a sense that that's a way of you knowing that he's found somewhere on the other side or whatever and, and is in a sense of, of safety and well-being wherever the other side may be oh yeah and it was also a little selfish like still wanting him to be around a little bit I don't think that's selfish just like knocking my glasses off the counter I don't think that's selfish at all I think that's uh, you know obviously I haven't experienced that and and only people that have will know exactly the myriad of emotions that come with something like that but I don't think that's selfish at all I think that is is actually genuinely quite sweet and and sincere and and just very human you know it's it's a sense of of not having so much emptiness i would imagine but that that is that is a bizarre experience and you've never had anything like that before or since no um i mean i have in my old house i experienced a few different things but nothing that like dark and benevolent like that just seemed like maybe it was dangerous so that's the general feeling you got you felt like it was almost like a sort of a threat of sorts yeah. right but I, I wasn't scared of it but I knew that it wasn't good okay huh. so I think maybe that was just me being in shock at the moment but perhaps yeah wow super strange that is do you generally believe in stuff like that do you are you a believer in in like um paranormal things like like ghosts and such you believe that that's an actual thing I do I think that we are all made of energy and energy can't 
So when you die, you, you go somewhere and we don't really know where it is, but that leads me to believe that it's real. So it's just like another transformation of the energy you've had in mortal life, but it's just kind of transitioned into something else. Yeah. Do you believe in it? I don't know. I, I'm, this is the thing. (laughs) I am, I am like a, such a proverbial fox molder in every way. I want to believe in so much. I want to believe that Bigfoot's out there just roaming around. I want to believe, Um, I want to believe there is a thin veil between dimensions. I want to believe it all. Um, and some days, uh, I, I really do. And then some days I'm just like, no, I am in a very sort of, it is such a safe place to be. It's like the very middle of the Venn diagram. It's the comfiest spot on the fence. And I, I really, and, and I'm like that in all aspects, in terms of paranormal, in terms of religion, in, in everything. I want to believe there is more. I don't know. There's just something and, and has done for the longest time, which has just pulled me back. And, and and I don't know what it is, but yeah, I, I, I want to believe I just, I can't, I can't quite commit. I'm like the worst person to be in a paranormal relationship with because <laughs> I just I have real commitment issues in that regards. <laughs> that to me with religion, I just can't, it doesn't, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if I'd had, I've had one experience that, because I'm interested and this is the thing, even even if I don't get something, even if something just doesn't click with me, I want to know about it because I think that's the joy of being alive. And that's what I wanted with this show is to sort of look at everything, whether I believe it or I, I, I think it's a load of like bunkum. I just, I, I want to kind of explore it and get people's takes on it because that's the most interesting thing I think about being alive is you meet so many different people from different backgrounds, yes. different cultures, different experiences. And yeah, it's great if you can find a connectivity and like a like-minded thing of, yeah, I like that. I know that. I remember that. That's great. Like I said, outside of survival, that's what we are roaming the earth to do. But I think there's something infinitely rewarding and fulfilling um, and just perpetually wonderful about finding things that you haven't the first idea about. But it's just like, Okay, that's and again, it's it's the David Blaine effect. I don't know what that is. I don't understand, but I want to know more about it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm very much in that that camp of uh, even even if I don't believe, I still want I still want to talk about it. I want to get into the mechanics of things and why people believe in stuff and what it does for them. That's something I find that I'm getting more into is finding what things do for people. Not so much that they like something, because everybody likes something, but it's like, why do you like it? What is it that is making you like it? What is it that you are attaching to? What are you getting from it? This has been an absolute pleasure having you come on. I'm so pleased you agreed to do this. Yes, thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. Um, It has been very fun and insightful and just an absolute joy. So you you were in the the long list of people that are welcome back anytime you want to come back. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Jam Dimers, how about that for a conversation, huh? How about that? Hopefully you all enjoyed it even just a smidge as much as I did when I got to sit down and chat with the ever-wonderful, always fantastic Andy. What's funny is, at the time of recording that, which was a number of weeks ago now, I pulled up the whole David Blaine thing just as a random train of thought. And... It obviously, as you've just heard, led to us asking whatever happened to him and kind of reminiscing on the fact that he has been gone for a moment, to say the least. What is quite strange, and some may even say serendipitous, is that at the time of recording this part for the episode, I've just seen a teaser trailer for something that David Blaine is actually doing. It's called Ascension. It's going to be on YouTube as part of their YouTube Originals. And I have no idea what it's about. It uses some, it's about 15, 20 seconds long, and it throws out some sort of taglines about when 
anxiety turns to awe, and the mundane turns to the magical, and then you just see a balloon rise into the sky, and then David Blaine Ascension, the title pops on the screen. So yeah, all very mysterious, but David is back doing something with balloons. Maybe, maybe he's going to tie himself to a balloon and ascend towards the heavens, towards space, and whatever else may be beyond the roof of our visibility. Maybe he's going to attach a whole bunch of balloons to himself. Maybe he's going to try and recreate the movie Up. I don't know, but I am very curious to once again use that particular phrase. Very curious to see what David is up to. And on the 31st of August, that's when it's going to happen. Whatever it actually is. So yeah, David Blaine back doing something absolutely baffling. Possibly with balloons. Anyway, that just about does it for this week's episode. If you've enjoyed it, and let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't have enjoyed it, because I had a great guest, and we talked about all kinds of hella crazy, fascinating, cool, morbid, mad stuff with some great anecdotes. So there's, yeah, there's zero reason why you shouldn't have. If you have enjoyed it, the best thing you can do to support this show and to make sure you never miss another episode of this show is to subscribe via whatever platform you get your podcasts from, whether that's uh, the <laughs> oh, the names of which escape me. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, uh, CastBots, uh, wherever it is, you know where you get your podcasts from. I don't need to tell you these things. Yeah, if you really want to support the show and make sure you don't miss out on future content, subscribing is the best thing you can do along with giving us a rating and a review if the platform that you use allows you to do so. If it does, then, yeah, think about it. Think about how much of a good time you've had here and how much of a good time we can all have together. Yeah, I that I, I don't even know what that was. Yeah, for a totally non-creepy good time, you can have one of those by heading over to Dimed Hyphen Out. Dot com, sorry, that is dimed-out.com. It's a sad state of affairs when you make yourself laugh this much. Anyway, that is the website for the show. You can find all the episodes, the show notes, the links to stuff, including the YouTube channel, which is gradually, gradually progressing with stuff on there as well for you to check out if you're interested. And ways to get in touch with the show, which, to be honest, is primarily me on Twitter at I am Mal Foster. That's where you can go to say hi. I like the show, here's an idea you might want to check out, here's a suggestion for a future episode, anything you want to put forward in terms of feedback, contributions, or just support, that's the place to get in touch at I am Mal Foster. For next week's episode, we have a first, we have two firsts actually, we have not one, but two guests who also happen to be the first married couple to appear on the show in the form of my good friends Armando and Pamela from the Isle of Man. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking to them over the next two weeks in two separate episodes about a few different things. Next week, we're going to be looking at what it's been like living on the Isle of Man that has been COVID-free for X amount of time. We're also going to be talking about Bigfoot, whether he's real, if he's undervalued. And uh, we're going to be talking about the possibilities of living in a different time period. Well, not the possibilities because they don't actually have a time machine, but the the sort of uh, theorized ideas of living in a different time period and if you could what time period would you live in which is a good question and i would like answers from you guys on that one if you could live in a different time period not just visit but actually live what time period would it be and why so we're going to be asking that and we're going to be looking at traditions and what it means to them so yeah pamela and armando the first two guests together at the same time the first married couple on dined out very exciting. The following week, we're going to be talking to them about their favourite movie, Robots. So, yeah, quite the diverse couple of episodes coming up. But, yeah, next week, COVID-free, Bigfoot, time periods and traditions. So, yeah, that's what you've got to look forward to next week. Other than that, thank you, as always, for listening. Look after yourselves, look after each other. And until next time, keep it dimed out. Mm-hmm.